0: From Capitol Public Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight. I'm Beth Ruiak. We're glad you're finding us as NPR special coverage continues. Our shows are online, they're available by podcast, and on air at 7 p.m. if the live coverage of that day doesn't run into the night. In a few minutes, we're going to get to California's new individual mandate for covered California health care plans, but let's start with the visits this week by two presidential candidates. They were in the region, Mike Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren. State government reporter Scott Rod was with Bloomberg in Stockton yesterday He's in our studio now. Hi Scott. Good morning, Beth. So Mike Bloomberg has been polling low in California. I'm curious about who came to see him and and did they know about him or were they just curious themselves?
1: I would say a little bit of both. I mean, there's some rec- name recognition there for Mike Bloomberg, but also, um, you know, a lot of that name recognition is on the East Coast, you know, when he was mayor of New York City. Um, so a lot of the people who came were curious. The, the people that I spoke to, it was a mix of mix of curiosity and and sort of wanting to see what this late, you know, um, candidate entering the race had to say. Um, and he in, he received an endorsement from Mayor Michael Tubbs, uh, Stockton Mayor Michael Michael Tubbs, who he, he's, he's gained some attention over the last year for doing some pretty um, inventive things. Largely, uh, a lot of the attention is on universal basic income. Um, so I think it was somewhat of an interesting endorsement for some folks. And this is what Mayor Michael Tubbs had to say about uh, his endorsement of Bloomberg.
2: We have to have a candidate with the record, with the resources and the relationships to not just make sure we beat Donald Trump, but make sure something like Donald Trump never happens again. Um, In terms of record, Mayor Bloomberg served 12 years as mayor of the city of New York. And in that time, poverty did not increase. In that time, he innovated great programs around exceeding the earned income tax credit, building more affordable housing, creating more opportunity, and, and really making the American dream real for so many New Yorkers.
1: So I think two interesting things there. Um, One is speaking about his record, um, specifically things that align with Mayor Tubbs' uh, priorities down in Stockton, things like um, affordable housing, things like ensuring that uh, people who are low and middle income uh, receive assistance from the government, and pointing to Mayor Bloomberg's time in New York City as kind of the track record showing that that's where the proof is. The other interesting thing is, you know, right off the bat, he makes it clear that his endorsement endorsement is partly practical. He wants to see someone who can beat um, Donald Trump. He wants to see someone with the resources and relationships to do that. So I thought that that was very interesting that uh, that he led with that.
0: Some people might have thought, Mike Bloomberg and Mayor Michael Tubbs. But if you think back to Tubbs' own race for the mayorship, Oprah Winfrey endorsed him they already had a relationship and Michael Tubbs had coming out of Stanford um, kind of a group of people around him watching his career path so I think there's a connection there in in power and people with Mike Bloomberg
1: yeah I think that's fair to say I think if you kind of think of it just right off the bat you think Michael Tubbs and this East Coast billionaire mm-hmm. what's the connection here mm-hmm. but I think um, especially um, you know when when Bloomberg started to talk more about the policies that he wants to um, bring to the race. uh, That's when you started to see some more of those connections. And, And this is what Bloomberg had to say.
2: To start, we're going to substantially increase the construction of affordable housing, both through tax credits and direct government spending, just as we did in New York. It costs money, but it turned out to be the right thing for New York, and New York thrived on it. We're also going to increase the supply of affordable housing by providing cities with a major new source of funding if they eliminate restrictions on zoning, particularly near transit areas, just as we did in New York. We're going to increase the number of Section 8 vouchers and make it easier for people who use them wherever they want to live. And we're going to increase the supply of supportive housing available to those who are homeless or need services, just as we did in New York. We'll also expand federal grants to cities that implement effective programs to prevent and reduce homelessness, something, problem that almost every city across the country is suffering with.
1: And there you're hearing him hammer over and over. As I did in New York, as we did in New York, that's something that he's really pointing to to say, hey, I had this track record. I had um, success in these areas in New York and uh, pointing to that as kind of the proof. That was something that came up time and time again. But it it also, um, I guess I wouldn't say came back to bite him, but there was also some controversy that emerged about his time leading New York. And that came up at uh, the press version, the press portion of the event yesterday. Um, And he was asked about his policy on stop and frisk. And mm-hmm. that was the controversial policy that allowed uh, police pretty broad authority to search folks who were on the street. Um, and it uh, ended up – it raised a lot of controversy. People said that it um, criminalized um, low-income neighborhoods and minorities in, in New York City. And actually a federal judge wound up ruling that it was unconstitutional. But he, uh, you know, he said he took his best uh, – he, he defended it by saying he took his best stab at what he thought was the best approach to lower crime and reiterated a, an apology that he had offered earlier, um, saying that it was ultimately not the right move. And Mayor Michael Tubbs also came to his defense and said, you know, I respect that he apologized for it.
0: Let's finish with a note about his campaign strategy here. He's not gunning for Iowa, is he?
1: That's right. He's he's skipping over Iowa, skipping over New Hampshire, and he seems to be focusing on Super Tuesday states. That appears to be his approach. And um, in a way, this is kind of what California was hoping for when they bumped up their primary and moved it earlier in the year. They were hoping that um, more candidates would come through and not just treat California as an ATM for fundraising, but actually trying to get out and talk to voters and, you know, essentially make their pitch to California. And Bloomberg um, entering the race late. Um, he is, that's his strategy here, coming to California, states like California. But also he's funding his own campaign, so he doesn't really need that money that's here in California. So um, a number of voters, a couple of voters said to me that they're glad that he, that he had that approach coming out to California.
0: And then he went on to San Francisco last night at an event with former California Governor Jerry Brown.
1: That's right. And he didn't get an endorsement from Brown, but a lot of people saw it as a, a good little coup that he got that he was sitting alongside Jerry Brown.
0: All right, Scott. Thanks so much. Thank we'll you. We'll check in again. That is Scott Rodd, Radio state government reporter. You can find more from yesterday's event in Stockton at capradio.org. Two days ago, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren made what was her ninth campaign stop in Nevada. Cap Radio reporter Burt Johnson had an exclusive conversation with Warren after her event. He asked her, among other things, about the housing crisis across the country.
3: I have a plan to build about 3.2 million new housing units across this country. Independent economists say it would lower rents across the country by about 10%. And a big part of that plan is making sure that local communities get what they need. It's not about Washington saying, hey, here's what you got to have and here's what it's got to look like. It's about communities like Reno saying, look, here's our problem. Here's how we see the problem. And then Washington being a good partner in helping coming come up with the money. For me, This is about housing for middle class families, for working families, for the working poor, for the poor poor, for seniors who wanna age in place, for people with disabilities who wanna live independently, and for people who've been incarcerated. We need housing for everybody in this country, because if you don't have good stable housing that you can afford, pretty much everything else breaks apart. So I wanna make that investment together, investment in hardworking people.
1: And how do you make that investment? Is that gonna be from tax money or public-private partnerships?
3: So the money comes uh, from uh, going back to an estate tax on the people who still had to pay estate taxes back during the George W. Bush era, that's not so very long ago, and uh, asking them to pay a little more and then making that money available, both for direct investment, for example, actually building affordable housing but also for creative ideas from the community. So let's just say, for example, Reno came up with, they had a whole section that they wanted to develop and uh, uh, put denser housing in, but they knew if they did that, they were going to have to have another public school. And that's an additional expense that makes the whole project not work. There'd be money in this plan to say federal government could pay for the public school. Um, federal government could pay for the exit off the freeway. Federal government could do the part it takes to help make this project work. With all of it driving toward communities that are trying to solve their housing problems in ways that work locally, in ways that drive down the cost of building new housing locally. It's about local expertise and some federal money.
0: That was Senator Elizabeth Morin talking with Cap Radio reporter Bert Johnson in Reno on Tuesday. I'll add a note about Bernie Sanders. He has a Women for Bernie weekend of events in the West. Saturday he's in Las Vegas and then he goes to Los Angeles the same day. Sunday he's in Santa Cruz and then comes up to San Francisco. So we're going to continue to note the stops in the new year by presidential candidates in the region and we'll bring you conversations with them as we get them. One more story in this week's Capital Chat. California has passed its own individual mandate law for covered California health care. There is a deadline coming up. Radio's health care reporter, Sammy Cahill, is in the studio now with that story and the details about the deadline. Hi, Sammy. Good morning, Beth. I think we need a little bit of background on this.
4: Yeah, so this... The concept of a mandate, an individual mandate, came up during the Affordable Care Act. It was part of Obamacare, and it said you have to have insurance or you will pay a fine. And that was the law of the land. And then in 2017, the Trump administration zeroed out that penalty, which essentially means there's a fine, but the fine is zero. You don't have to pay. So that was effective 2019. So if you went without health insurance in 2019, you're not going to pay a penalty in 2020. Then Governor Newsom came into office and said, we need the penalty. We need this requirement that people carry insurance. I want to bring it back. So it went through the budget, uh, legislation passed, and that is going to be effective during 2020. So if you don't have health insurance starting January 1st, you're going to pay a penalty in 2021 when you file your taxes. So two
0: issues that are raised is how steep is the penalty? And what does he mean when he says we need a penalty? Sure.
4: So the penalties range. It's based on your income. But if you're an individual, it starts at about $695. Uh, For a family of four, it can go up to a little over $2,000. It's really steep. So it's kind of a steep penalty, Uh, though people can make an economic decision in terms of Do I want to buy health insurance, which, as we know, is also quite expensive, or do I want to just go without insurance and pay this penalty? Mm. And what we saw in 2019 when the federal penalty disappeared was that some people just just chose not to go without insurance. They thought, I'll just pay this one-time penalty. And so Covered California, which is the state's exchange, they saw a 24% drop in new enrollment in 2019. Mm. And they attributed that to the lack of a federal penalty. Okay. And so they said, we've got to put this penalty back. And they, they really supported Newsom on this and said, we need it because we need these people in the market. Because the people who tend to drop their health insurance tend to be the, the younger, healthier people who you want in the insurance pool to lower the costs for everyone.
0: Was the governor's full push about this aimed at making sure people are insured
4: because there's another side to yeah, this picture. Yeah, so, so you would think on its face it's a universal health care push. Yeah. Get everyone insured. Uh, but at the same time, he wants to use the revenue from the penalties to create subsidies for people in Covered California. So people who are already buying insurance, but their premiums are very expensive. He wants to give them some aid so their premiums are cheaper. Uh, and this this mandate is estimated to raise about $317 million in its first year. So he's Banking on people paying the penalty because that's that's what's going to be the revenue raiser. And I talked to this health policy expert, Lanhee Chan. He's at uh, Stanford University, and, and here's his take.
2: It seems like what he's doing is proposing a mandate as a pay for, and that's not really why you would impose a mandate. The reason you try to impose a mandate is to enforce compliance, to broaden the insurance pool, to bring costs down. But again, we've we've tried that before, and it, and it didn't work. So. It's all a little bit puzzling, quite frankly.
0: So right now it is a law, though. Going forward, this is what we need to abide by in California. Yeah,
4: this is happening. It's completely passed and approved. January 1st is the beginning of, of that assessment period, where if you're not insured in 2020, you'll be assessed in 2021 and you'll be fined. There are some exceptions. Um, if you're uninsured for three months or less, You can file for for an exemption because you were uninsured for a very short period of time. You're also exempt if you are below a certain income level. And then there are certain groups that are exempt, um, like um, Native Americans are exempt and non-citizens are exempt. So here's where the deadline
0: part comes in. In order to be covered by January 1st, 2020,
4: what has to either be happening or have happened right now in December? Right. So if you are uninsured right now and you want to sign up for Covered California, that's the state's exchange, you've got to sign up by December 15th in order for your plan to kick in January 1st. So then you'd be insured for, you know, all of 2020, presumably. You can keep signing up for Covered California after that but it would mean you'd be going some of 2020 without insurance, and then you'd be at risk of paying.
0: So that deadline is this weekend. It's pretty simple to sign up. You can sign up online. However, it's remembering that this is the deadline and that if you don't have that coverage in place in January, you are vulnerable to this big new fine.
4: Yeah, so December fifteenth is coming up quick. There are about three point five million Californians that are estimated to not have insurance right now. Um, some of those people are are eligible for Medicaid, but some of them make a little too much, so they they'd have to go to Covered California if they're not, you know, getting insurance from an employer or something like that. And then there's also a, a big group of people who are not eligible for insurance because they're undocumented. So it's all kind of part of this puzzle of how do we insure all the Californians? And um, you know, we'll we'll see if this. Does it.
0: <laughs> okay, I assume we're posting a link to get to the color yeah, that'll covered be on California webs. website. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Sammy. Thanks, Beth. Sammy Kayola is Cap Radio's healthcare reporter. You can find that link at capradio.org/slash insight. Up next, resources for victims of domestic violence. I'll talk with Faith Whitmore and Jan Scully. You're listening to Insight on your NPR station, Cap Radio.